We are in uh, uh, John 19, and we're going to pick up with verse 23. If uh, you were with us last week, uh, we saw that Jesus uh, was put on the cross. It says very simply, they crucified him. And he was there between the two thieves. Uh, and that's where we leave him. We're going to pick up with uh, 23. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts, one part for each soldier, also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, uh, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to see whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scripture, which says they divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. So the soldiers did these things. But standing by the, the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and uh, Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciples whom he loved, uh, the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Since it was the day of preparation, and so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for, the, for that Sabbath was a high day, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who had been crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus, they saw that he was already dead. They did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once there came out blood and water. He who saw it has borne witness. His testimony is true, and he knows that he's telling the truth, that you also may believe. For these things took place that the scripture might be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And again, another scripture says, they will look on him whom they have pierced. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks. Be. Let's bow together. Lord, help us help us never to get used to this. 
account. We can speak of the crucifixion almost glibly. We look at the, the cross and you've totally changed it from a cursed place to a place where we, your children, have received untold blessing for eternity. So Lord, remind us of this. Remind us of what you went through for us, what it means. Lord, open our hearts. And if our our hearts and minds are closed toward you and even toward the cross, will you today just give a glimpse? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we pick up with verse uh, 23. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments, divided them into four parts, one part for each soldier, also his tunic. And so they're, they're dividing it up. And then it says this. This was to fulfill the scripture which says they divided my garments among them and for my clothing they cast lots. So the soldiers did these things. Don't get the impression that the soldiers knowingly were trying to fulfill the scripture here. You could almost read it that way, but that's not the case at all. In fact, let me, let me read to you that scripture that we will see here and, and several times it referred to in, in terms of the fulfillment of the scripture. In Psalm 22, uh, verse 15, and by the way, Psalm 22 is uh, the most quoted Old Testament psalm, most quoted in the New Testament. This was a thousand years before Jesus went to the cross. And this is what was said in that psalm, verse 15. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. Now remember that when we see one of his words from the cross in terms of his thirst. You lay me in the dust of of death. For dogs encompass me, a company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. So there we see, just in that that brief section, the piercing of hands and feet, The counting of all of his bones, we're going to see uh, that none of his bones were broken. I just read that. We'll, We'll get back to that in a moment. People gloating over him, dividing his garments and casting lots for the garments. And and here's the thing. 
in terms of those who were doing that. It's yet another example of how Jesus, even in all of this, is in control. Not one thing was taking place on that cross, and this, is, this would be unbelievable if you were watching it. It would look like, how did this spin out of control like this? But what we see here is that this is exactly the plan. And once again, we see wicked men, or at least faithless men, apathetic men, who are being used to perfectly fulfill the Scripture. The Scripture of what God said all along will take place. And so, you might have heard of the the seven last words of uh, Jesus from the cross. Actually, most of of those were not just a, a word. They were phrases or, or sentences. None of the Gospels has all seven of those uh, phrases or sentences. But today we're going to look at the three that are mentioned in, in John. So what, what we do in terms of understanding what happened on the cross is we take all of the Gospels, we put them all together, and to even even hear all of the things that he said from the cross, we've got to do that. So in, in verse uh, 25, we have what uh, I'm calling uh, a word of affection. Now, that's not original with me. Uh, A.W. Pink, Arthur Pink, uh, uses the designations that uh, I'm going to use. I'm going to use his designations for these words. He wrote uh, a classic, a very brief book on the seven sayings of Jesus from the cross. And, and uh, this one he calls a word of affection. And here's what it was, verse 25. Standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his home. Now, this is actually, of those seven words from the cross, this is actually the third word of of Jesus from the cross. The first word would have been, and we referred to this last week, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. The second word and we referred to this last week as well as we looked at the, the two thieves, one on each side of him, when he said to the, the penitent thief, I tell you the truth, today you'll be with me in paradise. So those were the first two words. They were spaced out over a period of time. And then this. Think about this. For a moment, think what Mary, his mother, must have been feeling at this point. 
Some of you have had a child die. And of all the things that in my ministry I have walked through with people, I don't think there's anything harder than that. There, there just isn't, in my view. And so here we have Mary. Let's rewind back to when Jesus was born and he's presented at the temple and Simeon in the temple says this to Mary about her baby. He says, a sword will pierce your own soul too. You who've lost a child know that feeling. Your soul's been pierced. Here she is. Any of his followers were, were undergoing trauma seeing what he is going through, but, but here's his mother. And then we see her in the middle of this, and Jesus looks down, and he says to his mother, Woman, behold your son. He wasn't talking about himself. He was talking about a disciple that was there with her as well. Some people don't like it that he says woman here. Remember all the way back to his first miracle, we talked about this. His first miracle, the beginning of, he's almost bookending his ministry by calling her woman. But in, with his first miracle, he, he calls her woman. And, and we talked about that in this sense, that, that that wasn't a disrespectful term. Actually, it was a term of endearment like, dear woman. And so that's what he's saying. He's, he's in the middle of this trauma of the cross and he speaks to his mother. And then he's saying, John's now your son. And then he said to, to John, to the disciple, behold your mother. They knew exactly what he was saying, because what it says is from that time on, he took care of her. She lived in his house. Now, several things about this. What's going on? Of, of all the things he could have said from the cross. We see, for one thing, he is continuing to fulfill the law of God perfectly as he is honoring his mother even in that moment. One commentator 
put it this way. There's something infinitely moving in the fact that Jesus, in the agony of the cross, in the moment when the salvation of the world hung in the balance, thought of the loneliness of his mother in the days when he was taken away. And then secondly, he is showing them and he's showing us there's a new family order now. There is a There is a a closeness that if you are in the family of God, that's your real family. And some of you can attest to that. You know exactly what I meant by that. Some of you know what it's like to, to feel closer to people in the family of God because of your connection with Christ even than you are with your own family. There is a new family order that Jesus has established. And then we see what what Pink called a word of suffering after this, verse 28, after this Jesus, knowing that all was now finished and to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood There And they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. Now, again, that's actually the fifth word of Jesus from the cross. The fourth would have been, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When he felt all of that sense of being forsaken as he is paying for all of the sins of all of his people for all time. He is experiencing hell for us on the cross, and he feels forsaken by his Father. But again, he's quoting from Psalm 22 that says that, and that also ends in victory. Now notice here in in this verse, it says uh, after this, verse 28, knowing that all was now finished. I, had, I have to confess, I had never even noticed that before. But here's what it's saying is that, that he had evidently completed that work that I just described. Here is Jesus who is fully God but continues to be fully man. Being fully man, he probably had not had anything to drink since The night before at that last Passover, the first communion, when they drank wine together, shortly after that, he is arrested. He goes through the trials. He is beaten. He is tortured. He is sentenced. He is uh, uh, made to carry the, the crossbar of the cross. He collapses under that. He walks to the cross. They put nails through his hands and his feet, and then he's put up on the cross, and then he does the work of salvation for us. He pays for our sin. And then, fulfilling Psalm 22, he says, I'm thirsty. He was fully man. And fully God. Psalm 69 
Verse 21 says, the sponge with sour wine was a, uh, um, it speaks of that sponge with sour wine where it says, for my thirst they gave me sour wine to drink. Uh, There's controversy over what the point of that was. Was it more torturous? To me, that sounds even worse. If you're really thirsty, you know, sour wine that had been outside and so on. Some feel like, though, it was a small mercy to help quench his thirst in some way. We don't know. But what we do know is he was thirsty, showing us again that he was fully man, and and that which he did on the cross, he was fully representing us. And then we see what Pink calls a word of victory. Verse 30, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Now, the sixth word of Jesus, that's the seventh word, the sixth word that we see over in Luke 23 was, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Then here in John, we have his final words before his death. It's finished. Then he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. What was finished? All all three of those are sermons in themselves. You know that? This one is a sermon series in itself. In fact, Charles Spurgeon said this. He said, it would need all the other words that ever were spoken or ever can be spoken to explain this one word. It is altogether immeasurable. It is high. I cannot attain to it. It is deep. I cannot fathom it. So let me give it to you in bullet points. I'm sorry. After all that, it would take all these words. What's that mean? What was finished? First of all, the covenant of redemption was fulfilled. Go all the way back to Genesis, the fall of man, Genesis 3.15, where there is a promise that her seed would crush the head of Satan. The first gospel is there in Genesis 3, and all the rest of Scripture up to this point is moving toward this moment. And he says that that which was promised is fulfilled. It's done. Secondly, prophecy about his life and death was fulfilled. Everything up to that moment was perfectly fulfilled. Thirdly, his suffering and humiliation are over. It's true that he would be laid in a grave, and that is considered a part of his humiliation, to be laid in a grave just like any man. But 
But no one will ever see Jesus Christ, the Messiah, abused or tortured or suffering for sin because he has finished his work on the cross. And he did it for us. And that means we cannot add to what he has done, nor should we try. How offensive it must be to the Father when we try to work our way to him, when Jesus, his precious son on the cross, said, it's finished. We mustn't. We cannot. And then, the word that's translated, it is finished. It's tetelestai. I share this with every inquirer's class when we talk about the gospel. Archaeologists have helped us to understand this word. He, that's the word that he said, and they've helped us with, with the meaning because we've found uh, numerous writings uh, in Greek on bills of sale, on tax receipts, on notes of obligation, we find the word tetelestai. Okay, so what's the deal? Well, it, it shows us that, that that word was the ancient way of saying that this bill or this obligation is completely paid for. It is paid in full. So when Jesus on the cross said his last words, people there would hear this commercial term. It's paid for. It is paid in full. And that begs the question, for whom was that debt paid in full? This passage answers that. Let's work our way toward the answer. It says, and he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Look what's next. Verse 31. After the, the death, he's still on the cross since it was the day of preparation so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath for the Sabbath was a high, that Sabbath was a high day. The Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken that they might be taken away. Here's what was happening. The Romans uh, would typically leave the, the executed on the cross for days and days so the people would look and they would see the example and they would be deterred by that awful thing, thinking I would never want to do whatever he did and get crucified. And so they would leave them up there. Well, occasionally, especially during the high holidays, which this was, the leader could grant that bodies would be taken down so that, that that day would not be desecrated. And so they asked uh, Pilate for that, and he agreed. So what they would do is that they would, they would go to those who were dying and they would break their legs. It's awful. 
The reason they would do that is because uh, there would be a small platform where they could lift up a little bit in order to breathe, but the very posture of the cross would make it difficult to breathe. And if their legs were broken, they would slump down and they would quickly suffocate and their life would be over. And so that's why they went in order to break the legs. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first, verse 32, and of the other, that's the two thieves, Uh, who had been crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. Why not? To fulfill Scripture. To fulfill Psalm 22. To fulfill the the uh, Jesus fulfilling the Passover where where the lamb's bones would not be broken. How come he died so soon? Well, it's because of what we talked about last week. His death, as traumatic, as awful as the physical suffering was on the cross, his trauma was from, uh, and his death was ultimately, ultimately from paying for our sins, suffering for our sins before the Father, the wrath of the Father being poured out on him in that period of time And it killed him. It broke his heart. But even the broken heart was in victory. It was what he and his father had planned. And so, one soldier pierced his side with a spear. At once there came out blood and water. All kinds of speculation about the meaning of the water, the meaning of the blood. We, we just won't go there today. He had died. He had really died. That showed absolutely that he had died. And, and we'll go into that in, in future messages, why that absolutely had to take place. Down in verse 36, these things took place that the Scripture might be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And again, another Scripture says, they will look on him whom they have pierced. So even after he died, the Scripture was perfectly fulfilled. So back to the question. When he said it's paid in full, Whose debts are paid in full? We know it's not everybody because we know it wasn't even both thieves. One of them was impenitent. The other one was in paradise with Jesus at that point. So for whom? Verse 35, he who saw it is borne witness. His testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth that you also may believe. That's why I called this series Believe. This is what this whole book has been, been bringing us toward, that we might believe. 
What is belief? It is trusting in Jesus Christ alone for eternal life. I um, was reminded this week of, uh, in some of the reading I was doing, of uh, the movie Saving Private Ryan. And uh, it was actually on yesterday. And when I saw it was on, I turned it on, I saw the last part. And uh, if you haven't ever seen it, the, what, what it's about is uh, uh, on the invasion on D-Day, three brothers are killed. Word gets back to headquarters that there is a fourth brother who is actually parachuted behind uh, the enemy lines. And so they send a squad to go and rescue him because, as they said, no mother should have to bear that. And so the movie is about, about them making their way and finding this, this James Ryan. And I actually turned it on right when they're at the last scenes. They have found him. Um, the squad that came to get him is just uh, being decimated and uh, when they had victory, Ryan comes over to uh, Captain Miller, who is dying. And these were the last things Miller said to him. Earn this. Earn it. And then we see at the end of the movie... James Ryan, as an old man, comes back to that battlefield and he sees, he, he, he goes to Captain Miller's grave and he kneels down in front of it and he says, I, I have tried, I've tried to live a good life and I hope that it's enough. And then he says to his wife, have I been a good man? And she says, you have. How thankful we must be that Jesus' last words on the cross were not, earn it. How unsure we would ever be that it would be enough, and it would not be enough. Instead, his last words were, it is finished. Thanks be to God. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your finished work on the cross. Will you help us even today, this afternoon, tonight, tomorrow, to live our lives in light of that, not to earn anything from you because you have finished it, but out of gratitude for that which you have done. We pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen.